Beginning with this year's elections, voting gets a whole lot easier. Your mailbox is your ballot box. Your ballot packet comes to you in the mail. But only if you're a registered voter. If you need to register or update your address, do it today at elections.hawaii.gov. Look for your free Hawaii elections guide in the newspaper or at these locations statewide. The deadline to register for the general election is October 5th, so don't delay. Hawaii votes by mail. Aloha, happy Aloha Friday. Thank you so much for joining us here on Spotlight Hawaii. I'm Yenji Denise, joined by Ryan Kalei Suji. This, of course, is a place where we bring you leaders, newsmakers, uh, those involved in helping Hawaii respond to the coronavirus. And today, Ryan, we have two people working on different ends of that spectrum, but uh, definitely very important. We're going to be talking about education and schools to start and then about travel and uh, monitoring those in quarantine toward the end of the show. That's why we have uh, two guests, so a two-for-one special as we head up into this weekend in Labor Day. We have Corey Rosenlee from the HSTA joining us, as well as Doug Murdoch, the state CIO, to talk more about the new travel form that has been implemented and that app and the digital uh, web program that they're sort of standing up to help to consolidate some of the travel uh, information that comes through. But first off, as you mentioned, Yanji, we want to get uh, a check-in with the president of HSTA, Corey Rosenlee, to talk more about uh, some of the things that are happening in our schools. Good morning, Corey. Great to see you. Uh, first off, if we want to just start off, this is obviously a, a trying time for parents and teachers. Uh, sort of give us sort of the state of right now of the, the teachers and the way that they're feeling as this distance learning has now, uh, you know, as we're a few weeks underway. Well, good morning. Thank you for having me. Um, I can sum up what the state of our teachers right now is stressed. Um, uh, you know, there's the total misconception that teachers, that those that are able to work at home are just sitting at home, they're not. Distance learning is much more difficult. And a lot of our teachers feel like they're reinventing the wheel when it comes to how they teach. Uh, one of the biggest challenges is how do you make sure that you know at eight o'clock in the morning, can make sure that a bunch of 16 year olds are focused on learning algebra. So um, they're really trying and they're really working hard. Uh, they say that they've worked hard before. And you know, I really appreciate all the work that our teachers are trying to do out there to make sure we educate our keiki. Um, let's talk about how many people are actually in the classroom versus distance learning. We know that the, the overall plan is distance learning right now until October, but there were some exceptions made for students who had to be in person. Can you give us a sense of how many kids and how many teachers are actually in classrooms right now? Well, right now that's one of HSDA's biggest frustrations is we don't know. Uh, the policies are being handled at a school level or a complex area level. And so we don't know how many students are on each campus. We don't know how many teachers are on each campus. And, you know, the mayor said there is a policy of, you know, work at home and stay at home, but that is not being applied to teachers and to hundreds, if not thousands of students across the state. Um, and to make things worse, the DOE is still not reporting by school when there is uh, cases on campuses. So there's no data to suggest whether or not schools that are having more people on campus are um, actually having more cases. And you would think that that kind of data would be very important for uh, people making decisions and it's just not being shared right now. You know, we're seeing that some of these teachers are being asked, of course, to still physically come into the classroom and teach in the classroom while doing this uh, distance learning, while others are able to 
uh, stay at home and, and to teach from home essentially. Is there a preference uh, in terms of what the teachers want or is it more that they just want uniformity all the way around? So teachers want the option. Um, and I want to be clear that's HSTA's position too. Some teachers prefer to work in their classroom because they have everything there. And as one teacher shared, you know, she's teaching out on the Waianae Coast. She has to drive an hour and a half each way every day to go to her classroom. And she says there's so much better ways of utilizing her time. Um, and she doesn't understand why she's not given that option to telework. Um, so if a teacher doesn't have any students in their classroom and has the ability to teach from home, which our students are doing, then they should have that ability and that right to do that too. It shouldn't be left up to the whim of one school versus another school. Uh, we think that's completely unfair. And to be honest, it's not safe. I want to bring in the audience here. Henry Kuya has a question this morning. How likely will distance learning go through the second quarter into winter break? Unless treatment is vast, vastly improves, case numbers go back to single digits more so, a vaccine is approved and released. Do you think teachers will really feel safe enough to return? So the, the Department of Education has not made that decision. I think they need to make that decision soon. And with all the data out there, you know, it can't be about a date, it's got to be about the data. And what we have seen now is this, you know, it's hard to believe it's only been about a month since Hawaii schools were supposed to open. Uh, in that time, there are some school systems on the mainland who weren't even scheduled to open yet. But as schools are trying to open or closing, what we're seeing now is a lot more research on whether schools can open safely. And all the large school systems right now are closed. They're all doing distance learning. Only in the South are they attempting to try it. And in the South, when they are attempting to try it, it has been a train wreck. You know, um, there have been many cases in Georgia, in uh, Mississippi, Alabama. Um, and so there's no research right now that American schools of a large enough size can open effectively. And until there is such research that can show that, we should be going to distance learning for the for our students and their teachers. Would that mean that we would do distance learning for the rest of this school year? I mean, that's, you know, are you proposing perhaps to go into 2021 or beyond? I think right now the biggest decision has to be about the second quarter. Um, I probably, with everyone else, is hoping for a vaccine, uh, looking for cures, other things that can happen. You know, but I think that what teachers are asking for is some clarity. Um, as a teacher put it so rightly the other day, I'm sick of the word pivot because we've gone from, you know, having um, hybrid to distance and they keep on feeling they're changing their entire curriculum around and they just want some clarity about what's going to happen. And the second quarter is coming up a lot faster than people think. You know, it's really like only a little over a month away right now. And our teachers are saying we, we need to understand what's going to be happening in our second quarter. And I'll tell you, I think parents are looking for that, too. You know, we're seeing different case numbers, obviously, from each county and Oahu seeing the highest numbers. But, you know, there are counties like Hawaii who have uh, relatively low numbers. Uh, what is your what is the HSCA stance on maybe allowing some of the other neighbor island schools, maybe some teacher at classes on Kauai where they don't have the higher counts to be able to do things a little differently than maybe the other islands in terms of just the availability of uh, students to be able to get back into the classroom sooner than maybe say Oahu or the other islands? 
I will tell you as a parent, I'm sure a lot of us want our children to be back in uh, our, our class. I mean, as I'm doing this interview right now, my daughter is next door in her bedroom doing her distance learning. So, you know, I think everyone wants this one. So the question is this, can Kauai or any other schools open effectively without cases increasing? So again, the research is showing that this is not something that we believe can occur. Uh, so for example, Molokai, some schools are doing distance learning, some are opening. And in the state, in Island, you think that is can control it. And there was already a case at Kuala Pu'u, a, um, a, number, a charter school on Molokai, and they had to close. Now they're gonna to try to open up again. But the question is, it's very difficult to keep on opening and closing. So for those parents, first of all, that think they can open, you know, the question is how, I don't, I don't even think it's a question of if, it's when there's going to be a case at a Kauai school. And I think the data was that during the summer, there was already a case at a uh, Kauai school. So, you know, I understand how hard it is for parents. We all want our kids back in, you know, doing uh, in-person learning. But until the data suggests that that can happen effectively, all I think what would happen is, is you're going to open, close, open, close. And that's going to be more frustrating for teachers and students. Um, I, I want to get to uh, James's question here. I know that private school teachers aren't necessarily in your union, but there is this issue of disparity between access for public and private school students. Should there be a mandatory distance learning policy for both public and private schools? I had one child in school, one at home, while I also had to teach from home. So, you know, there is, there's already um, a gap when it comes to families who can afford to send their kids to private school and those in our community who cannot. Um, if we have this where some students are learning from home, but the private schools are in session, we worry that we make that learning gap even, even bigger. Yeah, there should be some sort of, you know, uniformity. Um, and even, you know, when it comes to the major private schools in Hawaii, they have gone to distance learning for all their students. Their teachers are able to telework. On, and that's why we think it should be the same thing for our public school teachers. There have been some private schools that have tried to open. Uh, there was just recently a case at Le Jardin. Um, and that was a kindergarten student. I mean, I'll tell you, that's that's scary that um, that can happen. Um, I know Kamehameha schools, they tried uh, on the Big Island and they had a case. Um, and so, you know, whether you're public or private doesn't make you immune to this virus. And that's what we all have to consider. There should, has to be, I mean, it was frustrating to suggest um, that our public school teachers had to go to school and the private school teachers did not. And that frustrated a lot of our teachers. You know, obviously this is not an issue that is confined here to Hawaii. You're looking throughout the country of, of all different types of states that are still tackling this question. How do we return back to school? Uh, how do we reopen then? How do we, you know, sort of get through this time? Is there a model out there of another state or are you in communication with other teachers associations throughout the country that is maybe doing this correctly and uh, any sort of recommendations that they would have that we should model the way that we reopen after? So I have an opportunity to talk to my fellow state presidents and I was talking to the Alaska state president. Uh, most of their schools are going distance learning, but they have small communities where they were able to shut off, you know, outside access and they were able to effectively open. Um, 
And so back to that question of Kauai, the problem is as long as you keep on having people coming in, that's always the potential to expose. Um, so New Zealand, you know, for a long period of time, they had no cases in the entire country. They had been doing things effectively of monitoring it. But the second there was a case, they closed down the schools. Um, and what we've seen is this, across the world, there have been some school systems that have been able to open, specifically in Europe, where cases were very low and the entire country took it seriously. But we still have difficulty, even in this country, of getting people still to wear masks. You know, we're still having that debate. And so I think we can't even look at other countries. We have to look at, is there another school system, you know, similar in size to Hawaii, that was able to open effectively without increasing cases for that school or for that community. And we have to be based on the research and data. And right now there is no data that shows that that can happen effectively. Um, I think it's got, and I, you know, it's been said many times, but this has to be a community effort that if we believe that going to school is important, then we all have to take actions in order to make sure this can happen. If school is mandated to go back in October, do you anticipate any of your members refusing to go to work? We already have teachers that are retiring or taking leave. Um, you know, there was a picture that came out of Florida, uh, I think two days ago, and it shows what human behavior is like at a high school. You had hundreds of kids confined into a hallway and a lot of them weren't wearing masks. And I will tell you as a high school teacher, you know, I can tell you that in between class, kids, high school kids are gonna socialize. The young kids, they don't understand personal space. And, and that's the problem that's, that's occurring. Um, we have to be able to recognize what our human behavior is like. And so, um, you know, in any decision about opening schools that has to be taken into consideration. You know, our time is sort of wrapping up uh, here this morning, uh, but we want to allow you the opportunity to maybe uh, just some of your final thoughts uh, on, on what teachers are facing right now and, and what is your maybe message to the public on behalf of the teachers out there? Well, first of all, I want to thank all of our teachers. I know how hard they're working. And, you know, it's not just our teachers, but our educational assistants, our custodians, our, you know, um, they're all working really hard, even trying to make sure that our kids can eat. And so during this time, you know, if we can to thank all of the hard workers at our school that are trying to make sure that we take care of our KK during this pandemic. Okay, thank you so much, Corey Rosenley. I know there were a lot of questions in here today, and we will continue to invite you on to give us the updates. Um, I think October would be a perfect opportunity for us to talk and see where we are uh, at that point. But we thank you again this morning for spending some time with us. Okay, thank you so much for having me. Aloha. Well, very interesting there. Uh, we are going to be hearing from two uh, district area superintendents towards the end of the month about what their experiences have been like to give that perspective. But, um, you know, a real problem of data, just the basics of how many kids are in school, how many uh, teachers are actually in school and school by school, if they do have a COVID case, uh, you know, sharing that information with the teachers union and with the parents of that school. So um, it sounds like a pretty frustrating situation for all involved. And we see a lot of parents here writing in, thank you so much to the teachers, but also saying my kid needs to be in class. Yeah, just a hard balance right now that, uh, you know, as he said, it's not immune here to Hawaii. Uh, there are states throughout the country that are still also trying to find 
the best solution for this. And uh, we will continue to keep you posted. And again, as you mentioned, Yanji, uh, I think next month will be a great time to have Corey back on and see where we're at and if students do, in fact, resume uh, heading back to classrooms next month when uh, the schedule is, uh, where it's set to schedule them to be back in, in class learning. So we'll keep you posted on that. We're gonna sort of switch gears now. Uh, earlier this week, the state uh, sort of announced a new program that they're gonna be using to help track those uh, coming into the state as well as through inter-island travel. Joining us now is state CIO uh, Doug Murdoch. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, first, if you can sort of start off by telling us uh, what this form is and explaining a little bit about this process of continuing to track people as they travel here to and from the islands. Thank you, yes. We have a mandatory online uh, state uh, health and travel form that everybody needs to fill out before they go on a flight. It is mandatory to be done electronically, so we don't have the paper forms anymore. And that was in order to allow us to get the information electronically so that we could have it for enforcement and analysis by our public health officials. So it's very important we do it electronically. Uh, we wanna encourage everybody who's gonna travel to do the electronic form before they get to the airport, uh, because I think at the airport, we always see there's a fast lane for people that have done their application in advance and a slow lane for people who haven't. So super important they do it beforehand. We uh, have some different purposes in mind in building, building the application. One is to be able to protect the health of our residents and our visitors to make sure we know who's coming in that might have health issues related to COVID-19 that we need to address. And then to be able to enforce the quarantine, to have real-time information, as I said, for our law enforcement and for our health officials, and then to get us ready to reopen the economy so that we could handle the negative COVID-19 tests when they start coming in as part of allowing travelers to come in without uh, being in quarantine. So we built it as a website so everybody can get at it. It's not an Apple phone app or a Google phone app. It's just a website. You can get at it on your phone and it's made to move so that it's, it, it, it reacts well on the phone. And then we also wanted to be able to do updates to it and be responsive as things change. So we, we probably make a change almost every day, a small change, sometimes a big change once a week to the application to respond to what we're seeing in terms of users. So it, it's been a good launch so far. Uh, we have managed to get everybody through the system with the, uh, you know, with the electronic form. What kind of information are you asking of travelers? We have um, really, uh, the, the, the way the form works is you come in and you enter a login. You can log in with your Google account or with Facebook, or you can log in by putting in any other email address and a, and a password. And then once you get in, we ask for a profile, things like your home address and your ID that you're gonna use at the airport. Uh, any travelers that are with you that are under the age of 18, you can enter in there. And then we ask for your flight information and where you're going to be staying during the quarantine. And then we, there's a health questionnaire that can only be seen by the health department. And it has basic information like, are you running a fever? Do you feel ill? Do you have any COVID symptoms? Are you taking fever reducing medicine? So that way we know if we need to do secondary screening. And if we have somebody that needs secondary screening, we have medical personnel at the airport and doing temperature checks. And we have the ability to run COVID-19 tests for people that, that need them and, and want to have them if they ha have a need for secondary screening. You know, we know that obviously the opening of Trans-Pacific travel into the islands has been pushed back a few months now. 
but one of the requirements to come into the state will be that 72 hour testing and you know that negative testing we have a question here from todd who's asking will the feature be at uh Will a feature be added to the form to allow for upload of a negative COVID test as a result once reopening occurs? Uh, so how does that sort of work when the testing becomes requirement for people to enter in? And how does that intersect with this, uh, you know, this form? Right now, anybody that has an exemption of any kind, including a negative COVID-19 test or military or critical infrastructure people, um, they show us physical evidence, a paper form usually, or an email from the attorney general's office granting the exemption. We are going to try and incorporate the upload of testing into the system, but right now we haven't been able to get there because all the testing uh, activities are super busy and it's hard to get them to help us work through the information. But it is a goal to try and, and have that automated if we can. You know, Nancy has a question here. Uh, she, well, it's, it's a comment and a question. There's no quarantine enforcement, she says, only a form. I know this because I just finished my two-week quarantine. No one checked up on me for 14 days. Who's responsible for follow-up beyond the form submittal, please? Um, I, I don't know that you can necessarily answer all of her questions, but how will this form help to, you know, enhance enforcement? Because I think a lot of residents, whether they're traveling or not, have some concerns about people who should be quarantining and are not. Yeah, we are transitioning between systems right now. So the old system and the way it was running and the new system's a little different, but uh, generally we provide the information to the count, city and counties and to the Department of the Attorney General and to the sheriffs at the airport, and they do the enforcement on the quarantine. And I know for certain that both the Attorney Generals and, and county personnel do go out and, and spot check people uh, we have built into the form a daily check-in where people have to check in every day for 14 days. And if they're not checking in, they'll, they'll be first on the list of people that the enforcement will go check on. And, and so what does that check-in process look like on this form? Is it uh, a simple logging back into the account? What, how, does, how does one sort of account for where they are uh, during this 14-day time? You hit it exactly right. They, they log into their account and there's a check-in form and they fill that out and it really just asks two questions. Are you staying at your quarantine location and do you have any health indicators of COVID-19? Uh, it has more detail than that, but basically those are the, the issues. So um, they also get a text reminder, an email reminder to go in and, and check in every day. And again, this is in and addition to those who are actually following up, right? This is not sort of replacing uh, those who that are calling and sometimes physically visiting those who are on this quarantine period. They're, this is not the replacement for that. No, that still happens. Okay. Okay. And so if you are planning to travel, this is for people who obviously are coming back to Oahu from the mainland um, and also for people from Oahu who are going to the neighbor islands, not the other way around since there is no mandatory quarantine from the neighbor islands to Oahu. Um, how, how, what should you do? How far in advance should you fill this form out? And you know, is it something that you do before you leave your house or is it something you do at the airport? What do you suggest? I would say do it before you leave your house and, um, you know, do it on your, your computer. It's a little bit easier than the phone, but um, you can do it at the airport when you get there and finish it. And some of the gates, a lot of the gates have posters up encouraging people to fill out the online application. And we've been working with the airlines to promote the need to fill it out. Uh, you can fill out the basic information, which is your profi profile and your flight information uh, anytime. 
in advance of the flight. So you could do it today for a flight a month from now. The health questions you have to do within 24 hours of your flight because we have to make sure that the information you're providing is relevant. So, um, but you could do it 20, the day before your flight essentially to make sure you have it done. And then what happens is we, we email you a QR code. It's a little square barcode that you can print out or you can just keep it on your phone. And the QR code is what you take to the airport and the screeners have an iPad. It reads the QR code and brings up your information and that's how they do the processing. You know, as the state sort of prepares for this Trans-Pacific travel reopening, uh, this is going to obviously be a big component of that. And uh, yes, we're getting the word out to people here in Hawaii, but what is that going to look like in terms of making sure that people who are essentially coming back into the state are aware of this form? Uh, you know, we know that in the past there have been that agriculture form that people would fill out uh, on the plane. Uh, obviously, they can do that on the plane, but is there some sort of effort to make sure that people outside of Hawaii know about this form and what is that going to look like in terms of educating visitors and potential visitors to the islands? We are doing a lot of promotion. So we're working with all the airlines that come to Hawaii and we've given them kind of a toolkit that says, please put up a poster at your gate and make gate announcements. Send out emails if you can when you're telling them to remember to check in in advance. So the airlines are helping us promote it. And then we're working through Hawaii Tourism Authority so that the tourism industry can help us promote it as well. And then, of course, we're doing a lot of media. Um, and we've had national media attention from USA Today and New York Times and Associated Press. So we'll continue to uh, do all of these things to try and make sure people know. But I think the biggest uh, place where we'll catch people in advance is probably at the gate where they can see the posters and the gate announcements before they get on their plane. Okay, and we got a couple of questions, including this one from Tracy. What's the website for this electronic form I'm leaving for Maui next week? It's travel.hawaii.gov, so very easy. Okay. Travel.hawaii.gov, okay, got that. Uh, another just quick question. We know that there are now other states that sort of implement this 14-day quarantine period. Uh, we know New York, which was once the hotspot uh, of the virus, has now also implemented that and has listed states that are sort of on that 14-day quarantine. Uh, have you sort of looked at the models that other states are doing to formulate this? And do you know of how other states are sort of dealing with this same sort of quarantine measure through travel? You know, we're working with Google. And so they had some similar experience with other states and locations that were trying to do this. And we've had some people ask us how we're doing it, because I think we might actually be a little, be a little bit in the lead. Uh, I think Alaska has it and some other island nations have it. Uh, it's very difficult for most states to control people coming into their state because people can drive in, they can fly in, they can boat in. And Hawaii has a little better control because everybody has to come in pretty much by plane right now. Okay, well, thank you so much, Douglas Murdoch, for spending some time with us. Again, the, the website is travel.hawaii.gov. So if you are planning to leave Oahu for a neighbor island or coming back to the state, make sure you head there first so that your experience at the airport is streamlined. We thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Aloha. Okay, well, two very different guests, but uh, very, very important information. And we thank both Corey Rosenley and Doug Murdoch for joining us this morning. Uh, good to see that that app is up and running. The mandatory uh, application started on September 1st. And so it's just another way that the state is trying to track travelers as they come to Hawaii. But as you noted, Ryan, one very important thing is that this does not supplant the other enforcement. It is in addition to as opposed to in lieu of. Yeah, and it's just a way to kind of help the, you know, the states keep track of those who are coming in and those who are supposed to be 
uh, under this quarantine. And as he said, you want to make sure that you fill that out before you get to the airport because there's sort of a slow line and a, a fast pass line that you can kind of get through if you have this form already filled out. Uh, I'm not sure how busy the airports are these days and if those lines are too long. Actually, I have, haven't traveled at all during this time. Uh, but we know that it can sometimes uh, get long. And uh, so you want to make sure that you have that all set uh, to have that filled out before you travel. So I, I, again, yes, we uh, great to hear from both of our guests. And next week we have uh, another lineup of some great speakers and, and people coming on the show. That's right. We are taking Monday off. Of course, it is the holidays. So we encourage you to uh, have a little R&R &R yourself. And then we'll be right back here on Wednesday with Lieutenant Governor Josh Green. Uh, he's always a popular guest, always gets a lot of questions. And then on Friday, we're going to be joined by Nancy Creedman from the Domestic Violence Action Center. Um, she has had joined us early on in the pandemic to talk about the stress that the uh, quarantine was putting and, and just general stress of the pandemic, financial and otherwise, on families. And she'll be joining us again with some new data, um, some pretty sobering statistics about what is happening in a lot of homes in Hawaii, and, uh, and also some information about how we can help people who may be in need during this time. So please be sure to join us for that Wednesday conversation with Dr. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green, and then Friday with Nancy Friedman. Yeah, and of course, we want to thank again our sponsor of this broadcast. Of course, this is the Office of Elections for helping us to get this conversation out there. We're looking forward uh, to some more discussions around the general election, which is coming up. And also remind people, head over to elections.hawaii.gov. If you have not yet registered for the general election, there is still time to do that and make sure that you uh, get registered and uh, have your voice heard during the upcoming general election. More information, of course, to come as we get closer to the deadline and that date. So uh, until next week, Wednesday, uh, we all wish you a very safe uh, weekend and we'll see you right back here on Wednesday at 10.30 with Lieutenant Governor Josh Green. Aloha. Aloha.